chapter 4, verse 23. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And it says this. It says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the wellsprings of life. Now, as I looked at this series, uh, one of the things that popped out of me right away was, uh, or particularly this verse, was that, um, you know, I, I was studying it and studying it and studying it, and I'm looking at it and I'm reading it, and it's like, yep, there's two lines here. You know, keep your heart, wellspring of life. Okay. I don't have a lot to go on there. (laughs) And I began to look in some of the commentaries, and indeed their comments were very short as well. And I thought, boy, (laughs) Sunday's coming quick, and we're still there. And what really broke it open for me this week was this uh, one, it's not exactly a commentary, but it's a resource uh, entitled The Dictionary of Biblical Imagery by a guy named Leland Riken. And he's a literary guy. He's not a Greek or Hebrew scholar, but instead he is a literary guy who looks at the Bible from perspective of literature. And what I realized right away that the mistake I'd been making is I was looking at this from an exegetical and scientific sort of view, sort of breaking down all these terms, when in reality, even though the Proverbs are very didactic, they're very teaching-oriented, they're, listen, let me tell you this, here's a truth, blah, 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 They're still very poetic. They are still completely located within the Hebrew genre of poetry. And as a result, their meaning is based in a lot of ways on images. And so I began to reread this verse and realized there's imagery that the author is trying to bring up with wellsprings and life and guards and robbers and things like this to sort of wake you up to the intensity of, and drama of this situation. So since um, that, I'm not going to read that sort of commentary this morning. Instead, what I want to do is use some images from our life and sort of hopefully make these images that he's providing come alive. So we're going to try a little bit of new technology. I'm going to be flipping through some slides on my phone. I have 17 pictures to show you this morning. And that's a lot of pictures. And that doesn't mean I'm going to be doing this every Sunday. This is not necessarily the new way. This is just beta test. See how it goes. If you like it, great. If not, well, sorry. (laughs) Here we are. So this Sunday, I want to begin with uh, this slide right here, which is a picture of some absolutely beautiful grass. And you will never guess where that is. Not in my yard. (laughs) Actually, it is in my yard. This, this patch is in my yard. Now, when I say patch, I actually mean patch because this is a bigger picture of it right here. <laughs> it really is a patch. Uh, what happened was this, is that I've been going through all kinds of, you know, adventures. You've probably heard about some of them, trying to landscape and yard and, you know, trial by error sort of thing. And I have this giant tree, a tri-trunk maple that's in my power lines and over my house and rotting in the middle and about to kill everybody. So my neighbor's like, if that tree falls, it's coming through my foundation. And if it falls, it's coming through our kitchen. If it falls, it's taken out to the power of the neighborhood. And I'm like, we got to get rid of this, right? So eventually this tree is brought down 
and it leaves this giant, and I mean giant, giant hole in the middle of the backyard. And I'm looking at it, scratching my head, saying, okay, there's a trunk. And then, of course, the tree stump grinder guy comes, and what was a little stump all of a sudden turns into a great big mountain of mulch. And I get that moved away, and I realize I just got this mess. Like, what am I going to do with this? I can't grow grass on wood chips. And so I decide to go over to Home Depot, and I grab some dirt, and I bring it in, and I drop it into this spot and I throw some seed on it and I say, you know, I'll splurge a little and I get the like flower pottery, you know, nice dirt stuff. So like $3 a bag instead of $1 a bag. I put this stuff on top and I water it a little and walk away. And I come back and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> look at that. Real grass in my yard. <laughs> this is awesome. And I'm telling you, it's this patch like this. So some days you'll see me just walking around in my backyard going, oh, I love this grass. This is great. Just lay down in it and go, oh, man, it's beautiful, you know, because that is not what the rest of my yard looks like. (laughs) Instead, it looks a little bit like this because I got all this sort of sandy clay sort of yucky soil that's really not too great at growing grass you can see a yellow patch there and that's what i tried to plant at one point just into the soil that was back there and it really doesn't work as i read this text what i began to realize is this is somewhat of the imagery that this author is calling forth he's basically saying hey you know what above all else guard the soil of your soul Guard the soil of your soul, for from it flows the wellsprings of life. Everything is dependent upon the soil. You know, it's really cool if you buy expensive seed, and it's great that you water it, but if you're putting it in sand or rock, it's going to die. It's not going anywhere. All of its health, all of its well-being, everything rests in the soil. The author's comments to us today are above all else, no matter what you do. Yeah, other things are important too. Yeah, you've got to fertilize, you've got to cut it, you've got to water it. All those things are important. But above all else, guard your heart. For from it flows the wellsprings, here's the imagery of life. I began to think about this and I thought about all the great stories, you know, stuff like the Lord of the Rings or the Chronicles of Narnia or even Dickens, David Copperfield, or even the ultimate classic, Kung Fu Panda 3, the Dragon Warrior. What happens is this, is throughout all of those stories, there are great characters, and of course there's wizards, and there's knights, and there's all these amazing, talented, intelligent, capable people. But the hero who saves the day is not always the strongest or the bravest or the smartest or the fastest, but instead it's the little one with the pure heart. In all the good stories, whether it's Lucy, whether it's a hobbit, whether it's David Copperfield, known as Daisy, Dodie, or Trot, however you want to say it, it is the person with the pure heart who saves the day. Above all else, above everything else, your finances, your time, your wallet, your talents, your career, everything, guard your heart. For from it flows the wellsprings of life. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. We're going to continue with the wisdom series. And today the wisdom we're looking at is what is the most important thing? 
How do you move forward? Guard your heart. Now, the author of this uh, verse is going to make it a little bit easier for me to communicate this as I look for a structure. Here's the structure I'm going with. It is, what is the soil? Uh, What difference does the soil make? And how to keep the soil fresh? In other words, and I'll just give you the answer right now. What is the soil? It's your heart. What difference does it make? Everything. It's the springs of life. How to keep it fresh? You're going to apply the fertilizer or the word. So what is the soil? What difference does it make? And how might we keep it fresh? Theme for today is this. The theme is this. Above all else, guard the soil of your soul. Proverbs chapter 4. Now I said we were looking at verse 23, but if you do that in Scripture, you end up isolating verses and you take them out of context and you come to the wrong conclusion. So I also not only want to look at verse 23, but let's see the bigger picture, which is the whole chapter as well. So let me take you back to verse 1, and that's where our reading will start for today in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1. And I want you to pick up on the tone of this passage. Hear the context of the father pleading with the son, the wise to the, to the disciple, to the learner, saying, listen, hear, please understand I beg of you, hear me. Here is the call of Proverbs chapter 4. It says this, Hear, listen, pay attention, please hear, O sons of father's instruction. Be attentive that you might gain insight. Don't get distracted. This is so important. For I give you good precepts. Don't forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of his mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. This is your life. You've got to hear this. Verse 20, my son, please be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't even let them escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart for they are life. They are your very life to those who find them. And they are healing to your flesh. Above all else, guys, hear this. Listen, please, desperately calling. Keep your heart. Guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the wellsprings of life. Do you hear the desperation in his call? Have you been in this position before, whether as a parent or a friend or an advisor or whatever else, and you're talking to this person, and you're like, please hear me. I know you don't see this yet. You haven't come along this way. You haven't experienced it, but if you will just please listen, then you can avoid the mistakes I made. Hear this. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Hear me now and believe me later. (laughs) Just don't go through what I did. Listen, please. Be attentive. Keep your heart, for from it flows the wellsprings of life. Reminds one of another command in Israel, in fact, one of the very first commands, one found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. We call the great Shema, the great hear, the great listen, where before giving the command that the Lord says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, he says, listen, listen, 
Listen, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is where it starts for you as monotheists, as Christian people who believe the Bible, that there is only one God. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. There is only one God and there is no other. Listen, listen, Israel, listen. Keep your heart, hear me, I beg, pleading with you above all else. Guard your heart. How many times have you longed to say this to your young daughters or even your young sons or whoever else you want to say to them? <laughs> Listen, there are so many things that are out there that will go after your attention and grab you with a passion. They play on your hormones, your lust, your food, your desire, everything. They try to draw you in because they know what entices and attracts you. Guard it. Stop. Listen. Guard your heart. Hebrews chapter 4, or sorry, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Guard your heart. So the heart, what is it? What is it? Well, we know this. Um, medical science tells us that the heart is a working marvel. It's an absolutely phenomenal creation. If you look at the heart, uh, in general, yours may be different, but it, on average it beats about 75 beats per minute. That adds up to 40, 000, or sorry, 40 million times per year, or 2.5 billion times in your lifetime. That little squishy red thing inside of you is going like crazy. All the time, it never stops, and if it does, you do, right? Over and over again, your entire life. In terms of volume, it, it's like this. Every time it beats... It's about four ounces of blood, which you say, oh, that's no big deal. Well, it's actually 3,000 gallons per day. <laughs> you think you could move 3,000 milk jugs in a day? <laughs> I wouldn't want to try. One day, 3,000 gallons or milk jugs, your heart pumps. Over the course of a year, that's 650,000 gallons. If you need some picture, mental picture to wrap your mind around, that's like 81 um, Train cars or tanker cars full uh, each. In over 70 years, it does enough work to lift the largest battleship in the United States Navy out of the water. <laughs> That's your heart. It is extremely powerful and it constantly functions. It is the source of all of your life. Now, we as Western thinkers, what I hear so often when people talk about the heart, they assume there's like, our view, and there's the Bible view. And what I hope by the end of the day is you walk out with the Bible view, right? But our view is easy to get to because what happens is we hear the word heart and we think emotion. How is your heart? Oh, how do you feel? Oh, you know? Yes, I see you guys in the front row. You're having fun. That's good. Pay attention, please. How's your heart? How is it? It feels something, and so we assume when we flirt and our heart gets excited, or we assume when we get nervous and our heart beats rapidly, or we assume when we're fearful and it speeds up, that what happens is our heart is the locus of our feelings. So the heart is associated with emotion. For us as Western thinkers, we think heart, emotions. Now, when it comes to logic or problem solving, we think mind mind. I got to think about this. 
I gotta feel this. I gotta find a solution. I gotta follow my heart. Those are different things for us. But in the biblical author's mind, those are not separate. In fact, in the New Testament, the word they use to describe emotions is your bowels, right? Your innards. Because when they felt something, they thought they felt it in their stomach, you know, in the pit of their stomach. So they always associated feelings with their tummies. We just do it with our hearts. It's a cultural thing. It's not necessarily, I mean, there's, of course, chemicals and things that make you go faster or slower in your heart. But the point is this, is for the biblical writer, when he looks at the word heart, he's not just thinking about his emotions. Instead, here's how it works. Here's a slide with the percentages. When the biblical word lev, that is heart, shows up, 41% of the time, that's the majority of the time by far, it's translated as reason. It's discernment or knowledge. And only in 22% of the time, less than, or not quite half that, it's emotions. It's trust in 20%, volition or will in 14 and behavior in 3%. So what's that tell us? Well, what it's saying is this. For the biblical author, he doesn't live under this false dichotomy that my heart feels and my mind thinks. Instead, he lives under the idea that the person is a whole, and consequently, there are feelings that drive your decisions, and there are thoughts that drive your decisions. And a lot of times, most of the time, yay, all the time, these are intertwined. I feel a certain way because I think a certain way. You know, if I think my wife is pretty, then I feel excited about that. If I think this, then I feel that. If I think they're scary, then I feel scary. My thoughts drive my emotions, and my emotions drive my thoughts. We are whole persons. We are intertwined, and we can't just compartmentalize necessarily one aspect of our being and say, oh, that's over there, and this is over here, and you guys never talk to each other. No. Instead, they're working through each other all the time, both your thoughts and your feelings. So the biblical author then, what he says is basically guard your heart. In other words, guard your whole self. This is why Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Not because he's picking you apart and saying, here's one part and here's another part and here's another part. That's the wrong reading of this text. His is poetic as well. And he's saying every aspect or every part of you that you can imagine, with your appetites, with your feelings, your desires, your thoughts, your whole being, your whole self, everything, love him. He's not saying you have three different parts. He's saying you're one. But everything that's intertwined in between there should be part of this process of loving him. That is the idea that Proverbs is trying to communicate when it says, guard your heart. It's not just how you feel, it's even how you think. Guys, does this matter? Absolutely. Talk about purity. Guard your thoughts. Your thoughts matter. They matter to God, and God can read your mind. Are you satisfied? Are you content? Are you thankful? Or are you dissatisfied? Envious, jealous, discontent. Are you having biblical thoughts or have your mind landed on stuff that comes across the screen? Are you thinking of God 
What is it you're thinking of? A.W. Tozer says, the thoughts that we have of God are the highest thoughts that we could possibly have. Think on these things. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-5 through 5 says, Look, we walk in the flesh. Yeah, we're people. We walk in the flesh. But we're not waging war according to the flesh. Instead, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but the divine power to destroy strongholds. Do you have strongholds in the way of your thinking? Is there stuff that's holding you back? Listen, verse 5 says, We destroy those arguments, those thought patterns, those processes, and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive. And that's the deal. When you guard your hearts, you've got to take your thoughts captive as well. Because if you don't take them captive, they will take you captive. And you will be controlled. You have to control them. Now, I'm arguing from a biblical perspective, but modern neuroscience confirms this as well. In fact, Dr. Alex Korb, a neuroscientist and author of The Upward Spiral uses neuroscience neuroscience to say this, each thought is made up of complex patterns of activities taking place between proteins and other chemicals, gene expressions and neurochemical, neuroconnections in our brains. The more we have a thought, the stronger this circuit grows. A well-developed thought, then, he says, here's an analogy, is like a ski path. And the ones you go down, the ones that are most traveled, all of a sudden are padded down and make the most connections and they're easiest to go. So you start thinking unbiblical, anti-God, lustful, whatever thoughts, and guess what? The more you go down that path, the more you go down that path. And before long, it's naturally where you land. You just follow it down. This is the way we think. The Bible says don't do that. Take captive those thoughts. Redirect that path. Even if it's through new snow, trudge on. Think on these things. Don't get taken captive by them. Take them captive and you move forward. Guard your thoughts. Guard your heart. For the author of Proverbs, it's the same thing. How you think matters. So what is your heart? Here's The unbiblical is it's just emotions. The biblical author is it's all of me. My thoughts, my emotions, my will, my desires, my mind. A holistic approach to the human person, the individual, everything. My thoughts include all of me. When you walk away this morning, remember that. It's not a dichotomy. It's an integrated, holistic self. What is your heart? All of you. Not just your flutterbugs, but your thoughts as well. Keep your heart. Why? Well, for from it flows the wellsprings of life. Now, here's some more imagery for you because what happens is uh, we hear the word wellsprings and we're just like, cool. But for someone who lives in this area right here, when they hear the word wellsprings, they go, whoa, that is significant. Because when you look at this portion of the world, what you see is much of it is brown. This is a satellite imagery, and you see a little red dot there on the southern end of Israel. That's a place I'm going to take you to today and show you how important wellsprings are. 
Because for us, you can put the camera on me for a second if you want. For us, what happens is we live in Michigan, right? So we're surrounded by water. We live in the Mitten, right? And there's water on this side, and there's water up here, and there's water in here, and it goes around like that. Water everywhere. My kids, you know, they get a cup of water, and they're just like, hey, you know, throw it on their friend, or pour it on the ground, or, ooh, this doesn't taste good. Boop, 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 boop. Water. Eh, no big deal. We water our lawns. We water our flowers. We water our gardens. There's water everywhere. You don't hardly even have to pay for it. There's drinking fountains all over our building. The only time you have to pay for it is you're stuck in a terminal and there's a big machine that costs three fifty. <laughs> they got you. That's it. But for us, water is just no thing. But if you live in this area at this time and the word water comes up, you're like, oh yeah, I need some of that because it is dry. Let me give you a picture of what that looks like. Here's the border between um, southern Israel and Egypt. This is an Israeli military jeep that you're looking at. And in the background, you see that lookout post with an Egyptian flag on it. (laughs) You can imagine that this is a highly guarded, fairly intense sort of area. Well, if you travel down there, what the views you'll get are somewhat like our Grand Canyon, if you will. It's very arid. It's very dry. I don't see a lot of water. I don't see a lot of grass. This is worse than my yard. Okay, But you can go there. And you can take a hike along these canyons, but, but if you do, you need to know that by the time you get to the bottom, you're going to be really hopeful that you brought your water along with you. And if not, the park ranger or whatever is going to have to come get you out because you will be thirsty. You can go there, but if you do, let me remind you, bring your water. There's no water. And water, as you know, is the wellspring of life. Now, here at MEFC, we've taken that to heart in a number of different ways. If you've gone to northern Uganda, you've seen this firsthand because you understand there are, there are some plants there. It's not necessarily pure desert, but finding pure drinking water is a big deal. As a result, before I came, I'm told that our church raised a whole bunch of money and gave to several villages brand new wells. This decreased their infant mortality rate. This you know, helps them grow their crops. This does everything they need because all of a sudden they can get fresh, clean water. And when someone comes and does this for them, of course, they are super, super excited. Why? Because water is the source of life. We desperately need this. And we in North America who are so privileged and blessed, we just totally forget. We're like water schmatter or whatever, just pour it out on the ground. Whoa, that's water. That's the most valuable stuff on the face of the planet. It's water. It is the wellsprings of life. That's the imagery that this author is trying to communicate. When he says, guard your heart, for it's the wellsprings of life, He's trying to say there is nothing more important than this. If you're in an agrarian society that's dependent upon agriculture to grow and feed you, you need water. If you are traveling through this region, out in the middle of southern Israel, on the border of the Sinai Peninsula, you need water. And you are desperate and in fact about to die if you don't find it. However, what happens is this. If you're traveling along and you come across something like this and you see an oasis or a spring, you're like, ha, ha, ha. 
my life. You've saved me. And you fall down and you drink at your feet because you found it. Well, so too the biblical author, look, they're saying, hey, Christian, if you want to be healthy, if you want to grow, you need to water your soil. You desperately need this water. You need it. And not only that, but hey, if you're, an un- if you're a non-Christian and you're looking for life and you feel like life is just a wilderness where you are lost and thirsty and alone, then you are to fall down at the oasis of Jesus' feet and drink from the living water. In fact, that's how he describes himself. Look at the prophecy that develops from the Old Testament that is fulfilled in the New and that is promised in the future. Watch this development. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. God the Father prophesying for the future says, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness, just like that picture you saw. There will be a way and rivers in the desert. Then Jesus comes on to the scene at this well that's from long ago through the family of Jacob. Is there any coincidence there? I think so. And he says to the person sitting there, hey, if you knew who was sitting next to you, you would ask him for a drink and he would give you living water. For whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again and that water that I give him will become a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Jesus is the living water that provides our life. He is the prophesied eternal one. He is water. And so in the future, what he then says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 6 is, look, it's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and to the thirsty I will give from the spring of water life without payment. Water. It's our source of life. It's our source of well-being. It is our salvation. Here the author is trying to communicate how important this is to you, and he's saying it's everything. Not only for your growth, but for your salvation as well. What is it? First of all, it is the soil. Guard your soul. Secondly, what is it? It's life. And third of all, it is the springs of life. What's interesting about springs is this, is that they are uh, perpetual and they are abundant. They spring up. They keep flowing. If it's a lake that is, has no source, then eventually it might dry up. But a spring that comes from deep within the ground is constantly renewing itself. So, for example... Uh, what happens in the Psalms is that the psalmist describes a drought in Psalm chapter 1. He says, look, when there's a drought, this is what happens. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, it prospers. 
Water is your life. It will sustain you through the good times and through the bad. And thus, when the psalmist comes to you, or sorry, the author of Proverbs, and he says, look, latch on to this, guard this. There is something within you that you must take care of. It is so valuable. It is like water in the desert. It is your life. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Now, third and finally, the imagery that he pulls up is this. He says, keep or guard your heart. Now, my little boys will like this because when you say keep or guard, the imagery it's trying to bring is that of a soldier, of a guard, standing guard, like in Nehemiah's day when he tells the guys, hey, stand on the wall and get ready in case someone comes, hold your sword and be ready. Why? Because two things. Number one, if you're a guard, you've got to keep the bad guy out and you've got to keep the good things in. So for the thing that's attacking from the outside, you protect against it. But, for example, if there's treasure or loot or valuable stuff, you want to keep that in, like a bank. The bank guard is repelling the robber, but also protecting the goods that are within. So, for example, the soldiers at Jesus' tomb, what was their job? Keep him in, right? So... Here, in this text, when he says, guard your heart, he's asking for two things. Number one, he's asking you to keep stuff out, that is, the bad stuff. And number two, he's asking you to keep stuff in, that's the good stuff. So basically, it's pretty simple. When, when the text tells you to guard your heart, it's saying, keep the bad stuff out and put the good stuff in. Keep the bad stuff out. We know what that means means have a high morals, avoid temptation, resist it, flee from it, depend on the power of the Spirit. Keep the bad stuff out. And as you go through these decisions, you can ask yourself the question, you know, in this situation, what would give Jesus the most pleasure? Should I do this? I have the option. Or should I go a different direction? What would be best? Because there's a number of things I can do. It's okay. I'm not making a list of do's and don'ts. But what is really best? What is the most high quality use of my time or my space or my person at this point? I could do this or I could do this. What will benefit my soil? What will grow me spiritually? What will be the best investment in this little piece of dirt? For indeed, that's all that I am, right? Dirt. What will put the good stuff, keep the bad stuff out and put the good stuff in? Well, as you can imagine, for keep the good stuff in, I'm just going to give you the basic formula that hopefully every real Bible-believing preacher does and says, hey, read the Bible. Get the good stuff in. Get God's Word, the work of the Spirit, inside of you, and that's how you fertilize your soil and grow in your Christian walk. Now, there's a lot of ways you can do that. We've got, uh, you know, the advantages of modern technology. So I know our lives are busy, and I'm not asking you if you're, you know, dyslexic or you struggle with reading to sit down and read for four hours a day. I'm not saying that. You have all kinds of options. You can get the Bible on CD. You can listen to it on the radio. You can listen to preachers. You can listen to podcasts. You can do all kinds of things to put good stuff in to you. And the more you fertilize and the more you feed, the better it's going to be. 
And that's the stuff that you will use then to take, thought, take captive every thought. As you put good stuff in, bad stuff goes out. Last night I was watching a video on how to keep ants and all these other little boogers out of your yard. And basically they said this. There's, of course, chemicals and things you can apply, and those are dangerous. You've got to be careful and call a professional and don't choke and die and blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, the best thing you can do is have a thick patch of grass. By having thick grass and keeping it full and keeping it healthy, none of the other bad stuff wants to be there. And that's the idea here. Grow it thick. Grow it healthy. Grow it strong. Grow it well so that when drought comes, you're just like that tree and you're like, I'm okay. Yeah, it's a dry time, but I recognize it's just a season and I'm going to walk through it and trust God and I'm going to find some other way to get nutrients. You know, maybe, maybe I can't keep the same rhythm or routine that I had before. And I really like that because when I was away on the mission trip, I had all this, un, you know, res, all this reserved time for prayer. And now that I'm back in life, there's the daily grind and there's my children in my house and I can't do it. What do I do? Do something. Do anything. Just do something. Get the good stuff in. And as long as you till and take care of that soil, it's going to grow. But if you don't, you know what happens. It's almost worse than weeds. Because if there's weeds, at least they hold the soil down. But if there's no weeds, man, that soil begins to erode. And away it goes, and all you're left with is sand and clay. But of course, that doesn't happen overnight, right? It's a gradual process. So you think you can skip a little here and skip a little there and be okay and rest on your laurels, but before long, all of a sudden, everything's eroding. And you don't understand why you keep going down that same path. But that's the path that you've trampled down. And now here go your thoughts, and here goes your mind, because you haven't guarded your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. For from it flows the wellsprings of life. Here, listen, O Israel. Listen, Midland Free. Hear this. Verse 5 says, after he commands us, Hear, listen. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. Yes, we're in. What's that mean? Emotions feel warm and fuzzy about him? What should I do? How do I love him? The next verse. Verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be... On your heart. Seventy-five times per minute. Forty million times per year. 2.5 billion times over your entire life. Over and over and over again. You want this word pumping in and on and through you your entire life. You shall teach these things diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk along the road, talk about it. When you lie down, think about it. When you rise up, think about it. (laughs) If you want, bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be in the frontlets between your eyes. Everywhere you look, you need to see this. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and your great gates. Hear, O Israel, listen, keep your heart. Get that fertilizer in, keep it in, don't let it erode, and guard it, for from it flows the wellsprings of life.
What kind of grass do you want to be? You come over to my place and I'll show you a lot of different types. We have dry, withered, dead, young, whatever. But there is one spot that clearly has good soil. That's where we want to land. Above all else, guard your heart. Blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on this law they meditate day and night. Then he will be like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and all that they do, they prosper. Guard your heart. Father, we thank you for your word which is true and your spirit which is alive and work in us. God, no doubt we get busy and there's all kinds of stuff going on and we've got to guard other things. Got to guard our finances, got to guard our homes, got to guard relationships, got to get groceries, got to go to work. We even got to do ministry. But Lord, above all those other things that we need to guard, we pray above all else that you would impress upon us. The most important thing is to guard our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.